0: And welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour. I'm your host Ryan Van Bibber. With me today, as always, Stephen White and Danny Kelly. How you guys doing today?
1: Doing well. Doing awesome.
0: Excellent. Um, guys, the season's over. That's it. That's the 2015 regular season is done.
2: Where did it go? Where did the time go?
0: Where did the time go? I don't. It was a. Uh, what we had? I think what a uh, four games on Sunday actually had some. <laughs> sort of playoff implication to them
2: yeah it was easy to not pay attention to quite a few of those games
0: <laughs> yeah we. Sure. Kinda, i mean you kind of knew too going into this week last weekend rather that you know most of the teams. what it was the final afc wild card spot was the one was the only place that had, i mean was the only spot up for grabs going into week 17 the rest of the stuff kind of at, at, on the line was seating order
2: Right. And I guess there were like 512 possibilities of seeding order, though, in the AFC.
0: <laughs> Jeez.
2: Man. Going in, so there was quite a few uh, scenarios that could have come out of last week.
0: I guess what was the most surprising? Well, I mean, you know, we know the play, We know the playoff order now. We look back at what happened. What was sort of the most surprising thing about how the playoff order has s- stacked up for y'all? I think the
2: Broncos getting the one seed was kind of. Well, it wasn't shocking, but the, with the way that they they could have come out as a six seed too, I believe. Um, so they could have been pretty much anywhere in there. But having having them, you know, leapfrog the the Patriots into the to the one seed was pretty surprising to me. Just based on, you know, they still have major questions at quarterback. Like I don't even know if they named a quarterback for this week yet, or, or for uh, next week, I should say, the day of the bye, but. Um, I don't know. That was kind of crazy to me. They, they just seem like they've been in flux. Obviously, their defense is, is elite and, and can win them games alone, but um, I don't know. It, that I think that one was the weirdest for
0: me. Steven, what stood out to you?
1: Uh, that was probably one of the top ones for me also. But, but right behind them, the Kansas City Chiefs coming back from Their early early season injury to uh, their running back starting off, I think, 1-5. and And now (laughs) they almost, almost, was able to come all the way back and win their division. Yeah. And uh, I know people talk about the Seahawks a lot, about them being a a very dangerous team going into the playoffs. And I even saw somebody say that about the Steelers. But I'm telling you, man, those Chiefs, they were scary. Especially, you know, Justin Houston gets back. They will scare me a lot, too, going into these playoffs.
0: Yeah, they really have that. I mean, I can, I kind of liken it to a little bit like the Ravens in the 2012 season. I mean, they weren't mm. necessarily the best team, and the odds makers didn't give them the, the best odds to win the Super Bowl when the, the playoffs started. I mean, in fact, they were a wild card team that year. But they kind of have that mix to them, you know?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, it's like uh... – you know, I think Alex Smith is kind of underrated too. I think people are kind of discounting what he can do. Um, not that he's like, you know, necessarily like a top five guy or anything like that, but he's played really well for them. Um, I think, uh, you know, I think because I put the I put the Chiefs at I think three in my power rankings this week and last week, and that I think that generated some discussion. So I was kind of uh, perusing the Chiefs fans' thoughts on that. I think they're worried about their offense, obviously, but. Um, that defense has been really, really strong. And, and like Steven said, if they get Houston back, um, you know, they're going to be kind of a scary team. So um, yeah, I think they're, they're worried about, you know, the offense being effective enough in the playoffs and that's definitely valid, but um, it's, it's kind of funny the, the way that the, NF, the AFC is set up, because both the, the Broncos and the chiefs are very kind of similar in in that sense. The offense is really, you know, down where, whereas the, uh, the defense kind of carries them. So It'll be interesting to see what happens in that in that conference for sure. Uh,
0: you know, I think one thing, but the Chief, Alex Smith obviously and the way he's played has been pretty, you know, pretty fascinating to watch. But he, I, they were talking a little bit about on the broadcast this week, and and you kind—I of, was going back and looking at the numbers from that one and five start to the season, kind of where where the Chiefs have gone from since Halloween, basically, and and they really switched up the offense. And it doesn't seem like on the surface it'd be that big of a difference, but it really has made a huge difference is how much they play Macklin in the slot now.
2: Yeah, Macklin's quietly had a really, really good year. uh, He's—I want to say—he set the record for most receiving yards for a Chiefs receiver, but I I, don't quote me on that. But I think I heard that. Like,
0: yeah,
1: um, I saw that on Twitter too. Yeah. Yeah,
2: So, and that's like quietly, no one's really talking about that. But I mean, he just—he came in and. And at first people thought, oh, why'd they spend all this money on this guy? You know, he's not even a big part of the <laughs> offense, but he set the freaking record for receiving yards for, the, for that franchise. So, um, I mean, obviously he had a big second half and, and Andy Reid certainly knows how to use him, you know, to, to maximize his talents and everything. So that, that was a cool story, too.
0: Yeah, and and like looking at the numbers, like his overall—I mean, his, his targets and his receptions and his yards per reception—those things weren't vastly different from the first part of the season to the second part of the season. What really stood out, how different—I mean, that really jumps out. At you. He had he had one touchdown in September and October, and then mm. he had seven touchdowns since November. There you go. And then and started, that, after all, obviously started, that so, Chiefs receiver touchdown stuff, but. Go
1: ahead and He Steve, started I'm pushing sorry. down. He started pushing the ball down the field a lot more, which yeah. is the biggest thing to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was something that we've always said that he probably could do. But he just didn't. He wouldn't take any chances, and by not taking any chances, maybe they wouldn't put up a lot of points. But he wasn't turning the ball over. They let their defense kind of win the game for them. But once they started rolling, like you know, when that Steelers game and on, he's starting to take shots every single game. Yeah, and so you can't just load up the box anymore, or expect that on third and seven and he's gonna throw a five yard pass. He might just bomb on your ass. Yeah, and so uh, I, I think that more than anything else, that in the fact that I, I really think people aren't talking about the Chiefs because they, they kind of wrote them off so early in the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who just still don't believe them and aren't really watching their film. That team is as legit a team as I see headed into the playoffs, especially now with Alex Smith playing that way where he'll actually will take some chances. Yeah. I, you know, they got Kelsey, too, who's a mismatch, a, a matchup nightmare for most teams. I, I really feel like, man, they're going to make some noise in these playoffs.
0: Oh, yeah. And, and too, you know, look who I was just like, because remember they started the season with, I mean, this is something we I go back to August and September that we've talked about. But, you know, you have the whole. Dontari Poe had surgery in the off season. He wasn't ready quite to start the season. It took him some time, but he's kind of back to full strength now, and I think that's made a big presence and a big difference with their defense too. As a yeah. guy like Dontari Poe is wont to do,
2: yeah, no doubt. And to plug our uh, plug our little article from last week, uh, Eric Berry has been uh, a yeah. big force. For him, obviously, you know, coming back from his uh cancer treatment treatments last year um you know i think having a guy like that i mean it's it's similar to like the honey badger thing and the earl thomas thing i think just having a weapon like that in your defense just makes you so hard to um game plan for an offense you know so um you know he's all over the place and and that so you know go read our article (laughs) it's still up (laughs) it's still valid
0: exactly exactly um,
2: I had a lot of fun watching him. You know, going back and because I haven't watched him specifically closely much. You know, like just this year, just uh, you know, on the on the um, you know the TV copies. Most of the time, he's out of the, the screen. So um, it was really fun going back and watching all twenty-two on him, just seeing how they use him. And um, you know, he's all over the place. So that was that was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it's really become a quietly loaded team that I think that you know I, I don't think they'll have much. Well, you think they can beat the Texans? Everyone's kind of poo-pooing that game a little bit, but I think it could end up being a little better game that people give it credit for, too, with the Tex- Chiefs of Texans
1: this week. I, I, I mean, kind of some... I I feel like it might end up a blowout. I, I really do. Yeah. I just, you know, the Texans limp their way into the playoffs. They beat out a sorry coach team for that final spot <laughs> yeah. as the ALC South champions, you know, the tallest short person in the room, so to speak. But, again, like I said, this Chiefs team is on a roll, and they're stacked, and they're relatively healthy. If they get Justin Houston back, look, uh, Brian Hoyer is playing okay, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I'm not counting on him against that defense, especially when I think their rookie, uh, Marcus Peters, is going to be a pretty good matchup uh, against Nick Hopkins. Now, Nick is probably still going to torch him, but he torches everybody, but I I really can see – not necessarily that he'll do it because of Hopkins, but because of Hoyer, I can see Peters taking one of one of those passes back this weekend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's done it several times already. Several yeah. times already this year, and he made the Pro Bowl as a rookie. Yeah. All right,
0: finals. Uh, we we got a lot of Black Monday to talk to here. This <laughs> is the I, I should mention this before we get too far into the show here for our loyal listeners that uh, you're in for quite the treat this week because we've got not one but two podcasts for you so lots of uh and then the next show that we record on thursday we're going to talk a lot about almost exclusively about the playoff games that weekend so uh we'll be we'll be we'll get into the games and the teams in the playoffs a lot more in the on the second show this week so uh but before we turn to black monday and all the the fun that revolving around that Anything else from week 17 that stood out to you guys?
1: Hmm.
2: (laughs) I mean, obviously the, uh, it's over. (laughs) Obviously the Rams 49ers game was just a, just a really great one. Um, no,
1: I don't know. <laughs> oh, come
0: on now! <laughs>
1: I had to wait for him a second to see if he was being serious. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, you know what it was? It's like it's like where you all like where everybody tries to run through the door at the same time and nobody can get through. It's like almost. It's like every like every bitching moaning complaint I have about the Rams and Jeff Fisher all came. To the front of my <laughs> tip of my tongue at once, and I was just I couldn't I was too dumbfounded to get anything off. But yeah, so Jeff Fisher seven and nine, uh, you know, there's balance in the universe, I guess.
1: <laughs> Jim yeah. Tom
0: Sula beats him in overtime, loses his job. Jeff Fisher rolls right on
1: <laughs>
0: with the promise that we're going to fix it again. We're going to fix it next year. Oh, if I had a nickel for every time I have heard it. Cue,
2: cue the fist bump
0: GIF. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I <laughs> love that, yes. Yeah. Oh, FML. I got one. I got one. Um, <laughs> Ryan Fitzpatrick's epic failure at the oh, end of that game. Man. Yeah. You know, I thought it was bad when I was watching Red Zone and only could see glimpses of it, but it was so much worse than that. And, you know, for a guy who they basically, you know, rallied around this year and everybody's talking about how important he is to that team heading into this game – I mean, it was just awful. I mean, awful. Basically, he threw two different game-sealing <laughs> interceptions at the end of the game. <laughs> and neither one of them were necessarily, you know, necessary. It wasn't like, hail Mary, he didn't have any other chance in the last play of the game. You know, one time he's getting hit, the other time it's just, man, I, I don't know what he's doing.
0: And and, and it just it's completely destroyed because like for the last three weeks that everyone's been really riding that Ryan Fitzpatrick narrative is like hey he's really good we I mean not that he's been he bad obviously me. this he season had but
1: been. <laughs> uh, he's had been good that's, that, that's yeah. really the thing that got yeah. in, is that he actually had kind of willed them on offense to the to the precipice of the playoffs yeah Hell he he kind of pretty much already. Assuming they were gonna to get to the playoffs, because they were talking about Brandon Marshall getting to the playoffs. Oh and yeah. getting to the playoffs. And you know, little did we know they were gonna lose that game in such a spectacular fashion. I think if we had been playing bad all year, it wouldn't have been as much of a surprise. But man, to go out like that, that's gotta hurt. <laughs>
0: yeah. It really does. And they even really, like, a Steelers loss could have put the Jets in there, too, and they didn't get that. Obviously, the Steelers played the Browns, so you know how that kind of goes. But it's, uh, man, I guess maybe we were just so, I guess it's not exactly a high bar for quarterback play in New York, for the New York Jets anyway, but, <laughs> but man, that, that, that just
2: had a sting. Was, that whole situation was surprising because I think a lot of people kind of, uh, I mean, not had written, not hadn't written off the, the Steelers for being in the playoffs, but it looked like pretty low probability that they would make it in. Um, but man, now they're in, and uh, they look like a dangerous team. And the Jets, uh, yeah, they just kind of fell on their face, tripped on their dicks, if you will. <laughs>
0: <laughs> as the kids like to say, as, as they want to say, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get into uh let's get into the Black Monday fun. Um, by now, everybody kind of knows who's in and who's out. Uh, mostly, everybody's out at this point in, in time. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, I, I guess the biggest surprise so far. What has either been the Colts deciding to keep Pajano and Grigson, who reportedly haven't gotten along at all yeah. for the last four years, or but they hiked it out. They hugged it out. Or or firing Chip Kelly just a few days before their last game of the season.
2: Yeah, Which one's the weirdest to you?
0: I, I guess the Colts thing to me is the weirdest because, you know, you read the stuff that kind of came out about Chip Kelly. And obviously, he didn't do a great job as a personnel man. There was no question about that. And, and right away, there was kind of some buzz that, well, he wasn't willing to cede personnel control, so that was kind of... Of the deal breaker but then you read about like his personality and and getting along behind the scenes and i'll tell you what man you know nfl owners it's just a different those billionaires it's it's a different world and and you got to be deferent. you got to show nothing but deference to the to a billionaire or they're gonna fucking put you out on your ass because there can only be one you know set of balls in the same room at any given time so it's a, i don't know maybe this is just my sort of you know, shit heel underclass upbringing showing out here, but it's <laughs> it's like uh, you know you, you can't get along. But there's also Chip Kelly, and, and not even just with you know his inability to get along with Jeffrey Lurie. He just seems like those guys, one of those guys that just it's hard to get along with in general. And maybe it's not that he's an asshole on purpose. I mean, maybe he's just like you know that you know that idiot savant type that is so good <laughs> and so smart about what they do, but they have zero social ability to kind of. <laughs> Right. To translate that into something that they could do with their daily life but i, I don't know i guess that was you know you when you saw all that stuff kind of coming out and you know there's there's probably some agenda behind it too but at the same time you know that's always going to be it's hard to go on when you when you're when you work like that i mean you don't want to work with somebody that acts like that nobody does
2: well, yeah, it, it's always you know it's always fun to hear, uh, maybe not fun for Eagles fans, but to hear kind of the uh, the things that come out after stuff like this happens, you know, because once once the guy gets fired or once a major decision gets made, then all, all the rumor mill you know becomes full of stuff, and um, you know the, there was one story that uh, the Godfrey, the the RSB Nation reporter, uh, told yeah. him. he was walking behind Chip Kelly. And this is true, obviously, it's not a rumor, but, um, you know, he was walking behind Chip Kelly and, and he was talking about how he can't wait to blow everything up and stuff. It's like, I don't know, I, to me, it's just interesting hearing about all the stuff that comes out. It sounds like um, Kelly's, uh, you know, his his relationship with the front office people, the, the owner or whatever, was more a part of the decision then maybe, you know, necessarily like, like well, this is pretty obvious, but more than his like X's and O's or whatever. Like, um, it was just more like, I think it, it just wasn't working out relationship wise between them.
0: Yeah. Steven, what, any of those things stood out to you? Surprise you?
1: Well, uh, I want to kind of touch on what, what Danny brought up a minute ago with Chip Kelly, where instance. just, um, Somebody wrote an article this week, and and this is not to bash him, but I kind of found this outpouring of uh, angst over Chip Kelly getting fired to be a little bit comical, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. And (laughs) this particular column argues that Chip Kelly getting fired shows that there will never be a, quote unquote, never be another military, which... Belichick got fired from his first head coaching job. So listen, and that's just where it starts to be contradictory. Yeah. And uh, the thing that I need people to understand is, look, you don't have to hold hands and sing kumbaya (laughs) in the locker room together. But as an NFL head coach, there's plenty of guys that are great with X's and O's, but make sure a good NFL head coach is knowing how to relate to the players. That doesn't mean you have to be their buddy. Yeah. It really doesn't. And look, we've seen people get fired because they're a quote-unquote players coach, and we've seen people get fired because they're a quote-unquote a hard ass. It it doesn't have to be either or. But you're going to have to talk to them like men, and they're going to have to be able to relate to you, and they're going to have to actually trust you and believe you when you say certain things. And if they don't, eventually you're going to lose the locker room no matter how, quote-unquote, smart you are or yeah. not. You, if you can't inspire men, grown men, then you're not going to be a good NFL head coach. I don't give a shit how smart you are. You can take all the wonder in the world. It won't matter. You need to know how to lead grown men. Yeah. That doesn't mean you have to be buddies. And this is a popular misconception. Tony Dungy, she always called him a, a player's coach and stuff like that. Tony Dungy wasn't in there giving us hugs and and having us (laughs) in the back. You know, and and I tell people this all the time. I I don't know that I've had another coach that made me want to not fail as much as Coach Dungy. Like, I didn't want to fail for him. I want to win for him. But not because he was buddy-buddy or anything like that. This looks good sc- because he scared the living daylights out of me. <laughs> he would look at you in such a way where he didn't have to raise his voice. He commanded this certain amount of uh, uh, respect without having to yell and scream. Yeah. Grab but it he, at the same time, he would, like I said, he wasn't running around giving us high fives and a lot of hops out to practice just for the hell of it. He was <laughs> as, as, as an exacting a coach as you will find but he found a way to also reach us. yeah. And it doesn't have to be his way, it doesn't have to be Parcell's way, but you better know how to do that. And so, like I said, this angst over Chip Kelly getting fired in the first place is just amusing to me. Because it, it was obvious from early on that this was going to be a problem. When <laughs> you got, in the history of the NFL, the same NFL that wouldn't let uh, black quarterbacks actually play quarterback, and black middle linebackers actually played middle linebacker until well into his existence, how many times have you ever heard more than one player on the team call a coach racist? Yeah. And it's not to say that he was racist, but you need to get to the bottom of why you got two different players basically intimating the same thing. Mm. Yeah. And find a way to overcome that. So if you can't do that, and look again. This is not about him being racist or not. This is about him not being able to reach different players of different backgrounds, grown men, the way evidently he was able to reach them in college football because they weren't grown yet, and he was a lot more. He had a lot more power over them. Yeah. This is not going to work if he hasn't learned anything from this. If he comes back and tries to be the same way, he's going to have the same issue. Period. Point blank. So you know. Uh, Maybe the main reason why I found the article comical is because, shit, he wasn't even how yet get him. He was always talking about the next job he was going to get. So it's not like Chip Kelly is going to be out of the NFL for good. He's not Greg Sciano, who's just a jackass and knows <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, he does know some things, and so he's going to get another opportunity anyway. What it comes down to, it ain't about being cuddly, which is what this guy referred to as being the only coaches, I guess, that he thinks won't get fired, cuddly. I I don't even know a fucking coach who is cuddly. (laughs) Even the worst ones. Shit, Jeff Fisher is definitely not fucking cuddly, even if he's fucked. (laughs) Right? So, um... I just, it just kind of blew my mind that, that, that people were so upset, but nobody was really upset when they thought Chuck Pagano was going to get fired, and he actually had done some shit, like going to the AOC championship game last, last year. I just thought it was funny.
0: Yeah, and you know, and, and and you mentioned the Fisher thing, and that's, you know, I think that's part of his, we joke about his longevity in the NFL compared to his record, but his play, I mean, his players like it. I mean, he gets along with his players and it's not because, like you said, it's not because it's, it's all hugs after practice and he buys them ice cream and stuff. It's, you know, <laughs> he respects them and there's an accountability there and he treats them like men and, 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 and he really does that part of the coaching job. Well, he just, you know, he, he he's maybe lacks a little bit on, on the scheme side of things, but it's a. Uh, you know his players play for him. I mean, even though that they get frustrated with the losing, they really don't. It's not open rebellion on him like you see in in, in some teams where they where the losing kind of starts to take its toll. I, it's fascinating to watch, and then it's just the the reminder of how much the personal relationship part of this. And it's so easy to kind of look at it from afar and think about schemes and talent and the right players and that sort of thing, but it's that the personal relationship element that still you know governs everything we do whether we're you know playing football or running a football team or or trying to make an editorial system work it's it's a it's interesting
2: pete carroll talked about this yesterday um i don't know if it was related necessarily to the the firings or i think it was probably just because it was black monday or whatever but um he he brought up his, his relationship with uh with Paul Allen the owner of the Seahawks again and how Paul Allen you know he's a busy guy he's like this crazy billionaire who goes off and tries to find dinosaurs and has like a spaceship and everything but um he uh he he I guess Paul Allen like the one of the main reasons he credits the Seahawks success is because Paul Allen kinda just like trusts uh John Schneider and P. Carroll to do their thing and, and I think, you know, obviously P. Carroll has um final say in everything as the whatever he is, the executive team president or what I don't know what his actual title is, but he has he has say over John Schneider, which is interesting. But he actually I think he trusts Schneider to do the personnel side of things and kind of lets him do that. Yeah. And so it is. It's like a. It's like a really important factor it is the trust between Carol and Schneider. Um, C- Carol essentially defers to Schneider and delegates to him for that stuff. Um, and then obviously Paul Allen, uh, you know, basically just lets those guys do their thing and trusts them to, um, you know, make the best decisions. That's like why they were able to to trade for Percy Harvin and then eventually trade him away. Um, you know, and then obviously, uh, you know, some of the bigger things like. Or the le- the lesser things like the Carrie Williams thing this year. I think um, the the way that Paul Allen trusts them to kind of do that, even though they're you know wasting money or whatever on on that kind of on those kind of players. Um, I think it's it's just that's that's a really big part of the Seahawks' success. And so um, I think a lot of people don't realize how important those relationships really are. It's uh yeah it's more than just um you know the I guess uh, it's more than just what's going on on the field, obviously. You have to trust the guys that you work with and have to have uh, good continuity and chemistry. That's why I don't think the Colts situation is, is going to work out. Like I just think it's a dumb idea to keep going on with that because um, I just don't know how they can all of a sudden get along and, and trust each other after what, what's kind of played out there.
0: Yeah, I think that was really the most I mean, out of all the Black Monday stuff, that's really kind of been the most surprising because, you know, Pajano looked like it was like out of all the teams that could be firing their head coach, like that seemed to be the easiest, surest thing in the mix. And then you'd read about, you know, like that Bob Kravitz report which obviously came from somebody in Pajano's camp the week before, you know, the in the days before their last game was just the kind of stuff that, you know, how do you salvage a relationship like that when the general managers Supposedly telling you to play Trent Richardson, even though he sucks, because you know he needs the narrative to be there that it wasn't a bad trade on his right.
2: part. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, that's just the kind of stuff. I, I just don't see how it's going to be any better. And I mean, it'll it it yeah. work.
0: And, and it's not like the owner there, and, and that's the other thing with the Colts. It's like, it's not like you have an owner there who's going mean, to, do you trust Jim Ursay to, <laughs> to kind of come in there and say, listen, you're going to both be accountable to me, and I'm not going to put up with this shit?
1: Well, here's here's what I will say. Um, you know, they, they kind of, neither one of them would have picked each other for those roles, I don't think. Yeah. They, they kind of got put together at the beginning. And so there's a possibility. I'm not saying that this is what happened or this is true. So there's a possibility that they both had had shit on their chest that they've been wanting to express to the other one, you know, upfront and honest, brutally honest about it, about what they didn't like and what they rather would have done, but maybe haven't said because they were trying to fill each other out or they didn't, couldn't get a good read on the other person. And they knew because they weren't tied at the hip that if one of them went and complained to the boss, maybe the other one's going to get fired. Yeah. And so there's a, there is a possibility that they finally said, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to say this shit that I've been wanting to say to you for three years, and then I'm going to move on. And then they both do it, and they realize maybe they weren't as far of heart as they thought. Maybe they weren't as far philosophically of heart yeah. as, they, as they thought. And if that were the case... Uh, you know, here's the thing for me if you're Gregson okay w- mostly everybody's looking at this from either the coast perspective or Pagano's H- 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 perspective but if you're Gregson and you still don't feel like this is your guy why in the hell would you get an extension yeah. that mirrors his because, because now you are tied to at the hip OK, now y'all face our time together. If he goes, you got to know you're gone, too. And Grigson potentially could have been safe in a scenario where he says, no, it's, it's me or him. Yeah. And so to me, I think the fact that Grigson is signing an extension to and now they are going to be tied at the hip gives them a lot of incentive to leave that bullshit back in 2015. You know, yeah. maybe this will be their New Year's resolution. <clears throat> We're gonna leave that in twenty fifteen and move forward because it behooves both of them to figure this shit out together. And plus, they got a generational quarterback potentially still on the roster who just has to get healthy. They both potentially can ride that gravy train for a long way. Yeah. yeah. But only, but only if they work together. So now it's the Colts, and we know that owner's half ass crazy. Okay, so maybe not. But I am saying there is a possibility that this works out. And I still think, look, man, the the AFC South isn't going to get much better overnight either. Yeah. So, you know, they still have an opportunity, if they can get their shit together, to actually make a nice little run.
2: Yeah, it definitely behooves both of them to do that. Um, Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, maybe I'm just a cynic about it. But if they really did have a come-to-Jesus moment, I I guess you can't discount the fact that it's possible. That they could uh, turn the corner, but it just seems like they've been fighting with with each other for a long time.
0: Yeah, it, you know, there's always this, there's always second chances, and and they're like you like Stephen said, you know, they're tied together now. Maybe they can make it. Maybe they can. They have yeah. more incentive to work this out. You know, this is something going forward, and plus, having a healthy Andrew Luck certainly won't hurt. Um, a bridge to a better relationship For next sure. season either. Winning does cure a lot of uh, ills. But I did want to so I want to ask, you, think, you guys think Chip Kelly will wind up back in the
1: NFL somewhere? Oh, yeah. You, you uh, know yeah. how it is. You like making the same mistake twice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you think he'll be chasing? I mean, will he have learned from this, or you think it's just going to be the same
1: that is a good question.
0: Well, uh, I mean, that's a question thing. we're not going to be able to answer, but.
1: Well, uh, we can kind of sort of answer If somebody throws $5 million a year at him again, why in the hell would he change a thing? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Where's your incentive you know, to change?
1: Right. I mean, only if he struggles to get another job this year. And maybe he wants to take a year off. Who knows? But if he actually wants a job this year and, and can't get the first, the top two or three on his list, that might be the only way I could see him changing something. But if he's getting pursued the way he, all these reports are saying, shit, why would he ever change?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, he might I mean he might even like if you look at his overall record there, I think he was twenty six and twenty one or something like that. Uh two ten win seasons. He might not even look at it necessarily like it was a failure. <laughs> you know, I'm it's gonna, so-
1: uh, how easy would, would it be for him to rationalize that, Look, maybe I just overstepped my bounds, and, and, right. and personnel ain't my thing. my yeah. stick to this culture. I, yeah. I personally feel like the 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 personnel stuff was the the, the you know the cherry on top because I'm pretty sure some of the, the other moves that were made when he wasn't GM yet were at his you know discretion or yeah. at his direction. But you know, I, I can see him rationalizing that so that he doesn't think he did anything wrong. <laughs> yeah. I think
0: he just when he apply when he's call he's supposedly calling teams now to let them know he's interested. So, you think he just is like, "Listen, I know you've heard about me, but I'm going to give you one thing. Nick Foles."
1: <laughs> I mean, that's a strong argument when you think about it. <laughs> it
0: is kind of considering the state of quarterbacking in the league right now. <laughs> but uh we'll uh, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out i mean really the black this is really just kind of the firing period right now we're still in a little bit because you, there's still some i think there are still some decisions that could come down we don't know what's going to happen to sean payton it sounds like i think Rappaport said earlier today he might wind up either in san francisco or stay in new orleans we'll see what happens with that um jerry reese isn't out of the woods yet i mean the giants uh, and tom coughlin parted ways but uh, Jerry Reese, the GN- GM there, isn't out of the way. And you heard Mara at this morning's press conference say that the, they've had some bad drafts and they think that was a bigger problem than the results Coughlin was producing on the field, which was kind of hmm. telling to me. Hmm. But uh, it's, you know, so there's probably still some more to come. And we're just now kind of starting to get into the hiring rumors and, and, and stuff here. What, what about the Eagles? What do the Eagles do without Chip Kelly? Who do you, What do you think they should do here? <laughs> That is a good
2: question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean they'll probably go back to um, a quote retread, you know because I think the Chip Kelly thing was like more out there or whatever and my guess is they'll probably go back to someone who's getting fired here now or you know I I, I think wasn't there a Sean Payton connection there too? Yeah, someone something like that. It wouldn't surprise me if, if uh, you know, one of these guys ended up there. I, I doubt they'll go the college route.
0: They've talked about some coordinators, like Adam Gass has been mentioned there. Um, yeah. I forget Hugh, it's who, Hugh who Jackson. Yeah, enter- Hugh Jackson's a possibility, I've, I've heard.
2: That would be a good fit, probably, I think. Yeah. Um, and It's
0: this, this always weird this time of year because you never know, like, the reports are coming out, and Schefter, or, Rappaport or those guys will... We'll tweet something out, and you never know, is this coming from the team? Is this coming from the coach's agent? Is this coming from, right. you know, where's this coming There's always a lot of subterfuge right now. So. I
2: wonder if they're going to try and get Jim Tomsula. He's available. <laughs> <laughs> that was a low blow. He didn't deserve that.
0: He beat the Rams. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um. <laughs> what about the Giants? What do you think the Giants do without Tom Coughlin now?
2: Yeah, that's like the, that's probably, people say that's the most attractive location right now. Do you think that's more than, more than Philly even?
0: I would say so. Yeah. I mean, you've got a good cap situation. You've got a supportive owner that's not, you know, Jimmy Haslam or something like that.
2: Um, What about this Matt Patricia fellow?
0: The Patriots. DC. He's had,
2: had some uh, interests in a couple areas, and so he could be a guy that, that I think yeah. it's like the same, it's going to be the same guys everywhere, you know. Adam yeah. Gates, probably. Um, sounds like Ben McAdoo is getting a lot of interest.
0: Well, and I thought that he was, and he's the offensive coordinator there now, and I thought that was kind of an interesting one because there were some rumors that, you know, when they hired him a couple years ago, that, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of this was sort of a, a decision made by. Not just that wasn't Coughlin's decision to dump uh, Gilbride and bring in and bring in McAdoo. That was the organizational decision oh. to, to bring in him. And there was always some low level talk that you know this guy is eventually going to be the successor to Tom Coughlin. And you know you've got Manning under contract, obviously for a while. You've got Odell Beckham. You know the guy kind of. Is established with the established sort of cornerstone players that the Giants have yeah, already.
2: Yeah, that one surprised me. Um, it kind of feels like that would be something the Giants would do. I don't. I mean, I don't know their front office well, but it just kind of that kind of decision seems like something they would do to me. Um, so that's definitely something that they're. I mean, it looks like Ian Rapoport even said that they'll talk to Ben McAdoo today. Yeah. So.
0: Uh, they're, well, they're also going to talk to Spagnolio. That probably wouldn't be an advisable thing to do with <laughs> the Giants. Yeah. So there's, um, Okay, let's go to Miami because the Dolphins situation is always an interesting one. Once yeah. again, they've got their sights set. It sounds like they've had their sights set on. Uh, they talk big. This is You can always tell the stuff that comes from the Dolphins because they always talk about how they're going to go big. They're going to hire a big time coach, and then, right, and, and then they obviously, it's not an attractive spot with Stephen Ross, and now Mike Tannenbaum, who is sort of firmly in charge of all things football. There, <laughs> is this the year the Dolphins break trend and get somebody good, get somebody they want, or do they have to settle again?
1: I think that there's a good chance that Mike Tannenbaum makes a good hire. Yeah. Um, you know, he was the guy who was there with the Jets when I signed with them. Yeah, And, you know, even though I ended up, <laughs> that didn't end up, you know, in a fairytale ending for me, I always did respect him, and I thought he was very smart, especially when it comes to the cap. Um, shit, he worked out my contract, like, in a matter of minutes. <laughs> uh, while I was still there, the details well. and everything. So, um, he's a very smart guy. You know, I don't know that he's necessarily the most a uh, personable person, but I think he's very confident. And while I while I kinda feel bad for uh Dennis Hickey, because you know, when they brought Tenenbaum on, they kinda I, I can't see that ha- as having been a very uh good situation for Dennis Hickey. Yeah. When XGM uh, GM comes in and you're the GM already. Yeah. And then of course they, they, they fired him uh after the season but but i think that mike tannenbaum is smart enough to get a very good guy now you never know how that's going to work out okay because one uh the biggest thing down there to me uh is the quarterback yeah and and, and that's kind of how it goes if Tannehill is not the right guy then whoever they hire it's probably going to be screwed Yeah, because they just gave Tannehill mm-hmm. all that money. Now, if there's a way for them to get out of that contract quickly, then who knows? But but it's going to come down to this. Can they get the most out of Tannehill? Because it won't matter whatever other moves they make. Especially in that division, if, if they can't get competent quarterback play and consistent quarterback play, they're never going to win the, the AFC East. So whichever head coach comes down there, he better know that. And there's a bunch of very good offensive-minded guys out there that, that are being linked to the to the Dolphins' job, which is why I do think uh, they're going to make a good hire because of the list of names they're going through already. I, you know, some of the names, of course, I would think are are a little you know like long shots. Like maybe he's just doing them a favor. Yeah. All guys has been out, I think Mike Shanahan has even talked to them. But I think when you get to the meat of the list of people they're talking to, it's a pretty good list.
0: Yeah, it really is. And you know, I don't know—is Tannehill salvageable? I mean, you're you're going—you're stuck with Tannehill for two good years in Miami. I mean, there's just no way you're wrestling your way out of that. Con- they're wrestling their way out of that contract. It's not for 2016. That's for sure so you know you're maybe another definitely this season maybe definitely next season maybe a season after that i mean is there a way is is like can you is there somebody out there that can kind of improve get more out of Tannehill or is it is is it sort of an insalvageable thing at this point
2: i mean i look at hugh jackson i i'm a big fan of hugh jackson yeah. um the offense that he runs in ball uh sorry not Baltimore, but cincinnati um I don't know. I just think it, you know, he's the kind of guy you want to pair with a young quarterback or or whatever, just, just seeing what he's done, Danny Dalton this year, seeing, um, even AJ McCarron's come in and done. Okay. Uh, you know, in that offense. So I just think he, to me would be, you know, a guy that like, if, if you're looking to have develop a young quarterback, or maybe you're on the fence about the guy that you have getting a guy like Hugh Jackson in there, I think would make a lot of sense. So, to me, it would be either that or like a guy like Adam Gase, one of these young or younger um, you know, offensive type guys that, you know, have a good reputation for working with quarterbacks and stuff like that. So to me that to me that's where I would go personally.
0: <laughs> um I just was looking at our rumor tracker. I guess one of the the first interview that they've actually completed, the Dolphins, was with Mike Smith.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: And I guess that's sort of based on what he did in Atlanta with Matt Ryan. Right. right. But now, I don't know that I would put Matt Ryan and Ryan Tannehill in the same category.
1: No. <laughs> Definitely not.
0: Josh <laughs> I mean, McDaniels is another name that's been mentioned and, you know, the Dolphins have requested to interview him too. I'm sure the Patriots would just love to send Josh McDaniels to, to Miami.
1: I mean, the thing about it is Hill has all of the physical tools now. Let, 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 you know, let's yeah. be clear about that. He's very athletic. He's fast. You know, he can run the, the read option if you want to do that. He has a big arm, can make all the throws. It's just between the ears. <laughs> Every once in a while, some shit goes haywire. Yeah. And you just don't know, you know, what he's going to do at, at any point in the game. He just has brain hearts and, and look, it's not like he necessarily has a strong cast around him. They obviously need to, to upgrade the offensive line somewhat similar to the coach. But at the end of the day, he just makes way too many unforced errors. And that's the part that you can't trust about him. Yeah. But maybe another coach, a new coach, can come in and coach him up a little bit harder. I don't think, you know, field him would, would ever be mistaken for a hard ass. Maybe a different voice, a different guy, a different velocity comes in and quote-unquote fixes him. But I just, I don't know. I, I, it would take me a while to trust him, yeah, you know, probably longer than it took me to trust Andy Dalton this year, and I'm still not exactly sure <laughs> I trust him.
0: <laughs> but then you see the alternative behind Andy Dalton, and which I guess Mc, Dalton did get his cast off today. They said it still looks like they're preparing for McCarran to start this week. Just as a quick aside, but uh, hmm. so that's the interesting news out of iffy quarterback on the iffy quarterback front there. What about Sean Payton? You think Sean Payton will stick around New Orleans? You think he's, he, he would leave. And if I'm, if I'm Sean Payton, I think this might be a good time to get out of New Orleans because they're obviously, they're going to have to make some big changes yeah. there because you've got the contract situation with breeze. The roster needs a lot of work. I mean, the defense is a long way. It seems like from being, they're the
2: worst defense ever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, <laughs> It seems like it's more than just the coordinator that's the problem with that defense, too. So it's there's a lot of like New Orleans is getting ready to go through kind of a couple years where they're going to be it looks like kind of competitive but rebuilding. And if they get rid of Breeze because of his contract, then I think then you're like in a total rebuild type situation.
2: Do you think that do you think that Peyton and Breeze will be a package deal? I had someone bring this up to me the other day. Um, Talking about how uh, Peyton's potentially going to San Francisco, does would that mean like? Do you think Breeze, you know, would get released then too, and then they could they could pair them together somewhere else?
0: I mean, I, you know, if you're an owner or a general manager, that's got to be uh, and, you, and you don't have a quarterback or you've been the yeah. victim would, of quarterback be, play, then you want to
2: know interesting scenario if that went down. Um, you know, because that, that's a potentially like franchise changing that's you know, you're getting two, you know, like really good coach, you know, according to reputation and and then obviously one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in a package deal. Yeah. So that would be huge for whatever team and whatever division that what they would end up going to. I you know, obviously as a Seahawks guy, it would be really interesting but also kinda of crazy to see him end up see both of those guys end up in San Francisco. That could be uh, huge. Not that I would think that Peyton would necessarily want to come to San Francisco. Um <laughs> But but yeah, that would be interesting.
0: Well, <laughs> the, the San Francisco thing—it seems like they're going to have to. I mean, given the stuff that happened with Harbaugh and given the it's stuff that's coming there. out, yeah, it's going to have to be sort of. If they bring in somebody like Peyton, I think they're going to have to give him a, a wider berth than they've given their coaches. And you just kind of wonder if that will work with the egos involved there.
2: <laughs> I mean, based on the the pre, like you know previous history, it doesn't seem like it.
0: Yeah, because the 49ers did have a good coach, if you remember. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: It, it wasn't all that long ago, either. was with the front office or whatever, and apparently that was enough to run him out of town.
0: Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, if that would give, I would think that would give people trepidation about taking that job, but, you know, maybe there's something else. And, and there's also, there's sort of persistent rumors that the team's for sale. I saw that York had to kind of address that. Oh really? yesterday that the team was not, in fact, for sale. And York's, Jed York's now infamous don't-ever-tweet-press-conference.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, obviously the San Francisco thing is going to be really fascinating just because of the history there. Uh, I just don't know. It, it seems like it would have to be an up-and-comer who really wants a chance to be a head coach. Uh, you know, because... I don't know if an established guy is going to want to take that job. Yeah, <clears throat> especially a guy who's been fired in the past. Like if you get fired several times, that you know obviously is, uh, that puts you behind the eight ball in terms of ever getting hired again. Whereas you know a first time coach, maybe it's not as big of a deal. But but yeah, so it's it, that'll be really fascinating to see what happens there.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting interesting situation to be sure. Um, you know, I guess the other the other one that's kind of had some recent developments to it is the situation in Cleveland. They obviously they fired their general manager and head coach Mike Patton on Sunday. They didn't even even wait till Black Monday. <laughs> they did it on Sunday, and then today yeah. they've hired. And then in just the last forty eight hours, they've hired a couple interesting names um, that I had to ask because I don't follow baseball close enough. I mean, I knew who Paul DePodesta was. But I wasn't sure about the other guy, and it's not because he's a baseball person, but uh, uh, Sashi Brown, who is sort of an analytics guy with the Jaguars, and whose resume includes um, career stops as a head of the Jacksonville Housing Authority and a jazz club owner and some other things. (laughs) But they really seem to be kind of committed to this idea, outwardly anyway, of – Analytics. I mean, Paul De Podesta is famous for the Moneyball. You know, he and Billy Bean were the Moneyball guys in the book and with the Oakland A's out there that kind of you know discovered the market inefficiencies in in baseball. Mm-hmm. But so there seems to be uh, doubling down on that in Cleveland. And uh, the obvious joke is that well, Jimmy Haslam's history with spreadsheets. None of this should surprise you. <laughs> but uh you know maybe it'll work and maybe it won't i don't know have you guys had a chance to digest or see much of this out there yet today
2: i think the reaction a lot of people had and and this is kind of where i land too a little bit is like nothing they've done in the last like decade is has worked so why not try something new um you know like why not try something cutting edge or potentially um whatever you want to call it you know I, I, to me, it's, it's interesting. I think it'll be kind of fun to see what happens. So I'm for it, but I don't know. <clears throat> I mean, it, it's just kind of one of those things that, you know, if they hadn't had so much, um, you know, not, they if they hadn't had so much depressing stuff happen to them over the last like decade or whatever, maybe I would look at it differently. But to me, it's like, yeah, why not give it a try? It could
0: be yeah. interesting. I you know, I Hello? wonder about the structure of it a little bit cuz they're both going to be reporting to you know that's always been an issue in Cleveland that was an issue in Cleveland you know with Petton and Farmer you remember the the infamous text messages to the the coaches on the okay. sideline incident but right. uh, but maybe that's something too that you know with this sort of system the, the owner can straighten it out I don't know
1: well, you, you know what? I was reminded this morning that the Browns were the team that paid a $100,000 for uh, like an analytics company to tell them that Teddy Bridgewater was the best quarterback in the draft, and then them draft Johnny Manziel. So yeah. uh, <laughs> the problem isn't that they hired this guy. The problem is that none of us trust them to use him in a way that will actually be beneficial to the team. Yeah. So... <laughs> You know, <laughs> and, and, and I saw somebody saying, well, you know, if this is the Patriots, everybody will be clapping their hands. Yeah, because it's the fucking Patriots. Their track record speaks for itself. Right. We can pretty much assume they're going to actually know what the hell to do with this guy. With the Browns, hell, they might end up naming him the damn uh, GM before the day is over. We, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah it, it, it's a smart move. It's an innovative move, but you just don't trust these jackasses to actually use him to, to you know, the greatest benefit. So uh, I don't think it's going to make some kind of larger statement to the league, whether it succeeds or fails, any more than, you know, uh, Chip Kelly and his program up there, his nutrition program and all that, that <laughs> supposedly led to fewer injuries Yeah, uh, in the first two seasons. Um, coaches are, are finicky, and so are GMs. They're like doing shit their own way. So even if it works with somebody yeah. else, if, if, if it's not their thing, they're probably not going to go with it. But look, I hope it does work out for the Browns, because if it does, it means they finally did something right in the last decade, like you said. But it, it's hard to kind of have faith in them at this point. I think yeah, team, it's not Chris a team that gets the benefit
0: it. of the doubt. Oh, no, they definitely don't. I think for a thing like this, it's uh,
2: when you're, when you're bring in a guy that, you know, they're going the analytics route, right? And I don't know exactly what the role is going to be or, like, who's going to be in charge of what. But um, I think it'll be a marginal. It's going to be a marginal thing. They still have to figure out a good coach. And like Steven said, they have to, have to find someone who, you know, gets along and works well with the front office. And, and um, you know, then you have, they have to find good players. It's, it's all margin- It's all like a piece of the puzzle, um you know so maybe you know cuz people are talking on I saw on Twitter like people say well now we'll find out if analytics work in the NFL well not really I mean it, you'll see uh you know whether it's something that people like and, and sort of think is is worthwhile but this isn't like going to be the litmus test for whether it works or not because there's so much other stuff that goes into it you know they have to find a quarterback they have to figure out what's going on with manzel they have to find a coach they have to you know whatever they have they have so much stuff they have to fix that just getting into analytics isn't you know this isn't going to say like all of a sudden the browns are good or or they're bad and that's not going to tell the story on analytics to me i think it's just um it's something you know it's a it'll be a marginal thing so maybe it'll be a marginal improvement and then they'll start building on that and, and whatever but um to me it's just like like steven said there's so many pieces of the puzzle that um you know It'll, but yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens, though.
0: Well, I guess my question is, and I just thought of this, and I, of course, I looked at like every time you have a smart thought, you can look at Bomani's timeline and see he's already thought of it like ten steps ahead of you because he's a fucking smart dude. <laughs> but what is analytics in football? I mean, it's e- you know, it's easier to put it in the context of baseball because there's so much more of an individual right. performance, a hitter and a pitcher. You know, a hitter's, you know, the team doesn't help anybody hit. I mean, it's still him trying to hit a ball that a pitcher's throwing. And you can break it down by left-handed stats. You can break it down by curveballs and fastballs and cutters and change-ups and situations and daytime and nighttime and stuff like that. But that's a lot more difficult. And I'm not saying that, you know, the scientific analysis type stuff doesn't have a place in the NFL. And I think we've already seen it start to kind of creep into that. Right. But it's not quite as straightforward to me as it is with baseball.
2: No, it's completely different. I, it'll be really interesting to see how they use it. Um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is something that, like, you know, the Seahawks and some of these other teams, the Jaguars have, uh, you know, like draft analytics in terms of finding athletes. I'm sure that's probably one area that they'll they'll use that. Um but in terms of, like, statistics and, and finding guys in uh, free agency and, and finding guys that are, like, the best players on their team, it, I imagine they'll do all that stuff, but I don't know how, like, the practical application of that works. You know, where you get the stats. You have to figure out where you get the stats or where you get the the input, you know, where, what kind of data you're using. I I don't know where any of that will come from, and it's totally different than baseball. So, um, yeah, that, that's, I mean, that to me, that's the fascinating part of it. So hopefully we'll hear some about how they do it and they'll probably be pretty secretive about it. But, um, I don't know. It, it's a, it's a matter of where do you, what do you input into their You know, where do you, what do you input? It's completely different than baseball.
1: Well, I, I think the biggest thing is, uh, how are you going to use it? Kind of like what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and and that's kind of what I said on, on my Twitter timeline. I, I get the same thing. Right? you yeah, am about to say something here. Is Bo Money already saying it. But <laughs> what, what I said this morning was that you have to just understand that it's a tool and not a cure. Right. And so you can use right. it in a bunch of different ways. And, and really the thing about it is, to be honest with you, the NFL has, and, and football in general has used analytics forever. They just yeah. didn't call it that. Because all this film study, when you break down the tendencies of what teams do, or you can talk about, I, I remember the, I don't know if it was a 30 for 30 or if it was a, uh, one of those NFL Network specials on Bill Belichick, where when he was back in Cleveland and he talked to his scouts about what he was looking for in a player. Yeah. Like these okay. specific characteristics, through his experience, has taught him those are the guys that succeed at these different positions. You have to be this tall, this fast, this much body fat, et cetera, et cetera. And so somehow you had to compile all that information. Somehow you had to go through and research and figure out that you do need a a 6'3 linebacker if you run a uh, 3'4, I mean. And, And they did. They just didn't call it anything. So to be honest with you, this is just the next evolution of that. So now you get guys who can maybe, you you tell them exactly what you want to find on the film. I want to see guys who do this. You know, I want to see, you know, guards who, who, you know, consistently get to the second level or whatever it is. And now you break down the film that way. Yeah. And now you can pick out your players for the draft. Now, let's say you're talking about, hey, these are the kind of plays they run. This particular coach has a tendency to do this in this particular situation when it's cold outside or when it's hot outside or, you know, whatever it might be. And you get it, all these different tendencies and stuff compiled, and then maybe you incorporate it into your game plan. Well, we know what they're going to do in this situation almost always, so now we're going to counter with this particular defense because this defense seems to work a lot more than any other when they run this. Now, you know— the, the 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 thing I would see that could end up being um, <clears throat> negative is when you try to do too much. You know, I've heard people try to say you're trying to do analytics in real time during a game, and I don't think that'll ever actually work. I don't think you have enough time as a coach to figure out what you want to call on offense or defense, and factor in you know the probabilities. It, it just happens too fast. Yeah, but. But what you can do is prepare for the next drive. Okay, well, you know, this is what they've been doing so far. When they used to do this, they come back with this, and maybe have some things in your head like, okay, well, these are going to be some good calls for this next drive. But I I don't think you will ever have a situation where an analyst guy is on a headphone trying to help a coach call a play. So if that's your expectation, you know, you're, you're probably overreaching. But as far as improving your drafts, As far as improving your game plans, I think there's no shortage of things you could do with with the evolution of analytics. Uh, No matter how it is you set up, like you can personalize it. Obviously, we we know about DVOA and we know about co-football focus. Yeah. But as a head coach, just kind of like, you know, Parcells and Belichick, you can come up with your own way of doing things in-house. And then let that be kind of your litmus, litmus test, no matter what it is for somebody else. You know, this is the research to tell us who, a guy who will be a good pass rusher. You know, this guy. You know, even though his stats look good, our numbers say he's not going to translate to the next level. Yeah, and I can see that definitely being in the case in Cleveland if they let that guy do his job.
0: Yeah, and that's and that's the big question with with the Browns. I think more than anything, it's like are you gonna, are they going to let these guys do their job or is this going to be if they don't win? 13 games next season they're all gonna get canned you know but uh, <clears throat> that's you know that's uh, it's the uh, it's the NFL its uh, sometimes the owners don't always have the patience to make things work for better or for worse I mean and then sometimes they have too much patience sometimes Jeff Fisher coaches for 20 years who knows it's just uh, a <laughs> it's just the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> I had to break up that awkward pause. I could, I didn't know what else. To, I didn't know what else to throw in there. I had always comes back to Jeff. Always had to go with the old standby there. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So it's been an interesting week in the NFL, and uh, man, we didn't even really well. And that was the plan, obviously. But uh, we've got four pretty good looking games to talk about on on the next episode of the old podcast.
1: Indeed. Can't wait.
0: And uh, Danny, I guess your couch hasn't come yet.
2: That's true. <laughs> the whole
1: podcast.
0: Danny, if you didn't know this, Danny is getting a new couch today. It's a big day.
1: <laughs> yeah, it better get there today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, watch this watch it on Thursday. It finally comes when we're in the middle of the podcast. I need
1: something to sit on.
0: That's right. Yeah. We'll ask the couch guys for some sports hot sports takes. <laughs> Um, All right. Well, Danny, uh, I hope you get your couch today, and Stephen and Danny, I hope you both have a wonderful day, regardless of your couch (laughs) and furniture, and uh, enjoy it.